have to uh, to eat. And <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I thought I thought you didn't eat. That's what we all assumed. <laughs> just uh, constantly just fueled by uh, you know Red Bull, uh, Red Bull, and uh, Five Hour Energies. Yeah. Do you do you alternate or do you uh, do like one in the morning and one in the afternoon? It's no. It's actually like one every hour alternating, and then I close the day with the Red Bull vodka. That's awesome. Okay, right on. That's awesome. <laughs> Okay, um, we're good to go, Brent. I've got all the audio tests and everything. Great. Awesome. Let's kick it off. Okay. Uh, well, so welcome to episode number 28 of The Hot Isle. And uh, I am one of your hosts, Brian Carpenter, and with me... Brent Piatti. Oh, Brent. I love you so much, man. Happy <laughs> 28. Happy 28. So, um, again, it's the 28th episode, and with us today, we have one of our favorite guests, and it's actually our first repeat guest. Um, <laughs> and so the goal of the show is to kind of re-engage with this previous guest and get the kind of state of the union on converged and hyper-converged and frankly anything else because uh, he's wicked smart about everything. So why don't we just go ahead and introduce Chad Sackage. Hey, everybody. It's good to see you, Brian, Brent. Um, I can't, you know, first things first, the show is awesome. Love it. Listen to it all the time. It's, it's on my must-listen podcast list. Um, you guys are doing great work and thank you. Thank uh, you. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing if I think about the difference between when I did it last and when I did it now. Brent, you're, you're now a dad. Yes, six-month-old uh, yesterday. Um, which is, which is uh, awesome, man. It makes me so happy for you. Yeah, we're excited, too. She's grown like a weed, which uh, we, we hoped for. But, uh, boy, is she cute. And, and just, uh, you know, man, for what it's worth, it just, as a dad, um, it gets better and better every single day. Looking forward to it. Until apparently, uh, you know, they turn 14 or 15, at which point it just falls <laughs> nose dives. <laughs> There's a magic age where no matter how much you love them, you become irrelevant. And that's the, yeah. that's the time. My, my 12-year-old is starting to kind of give me the, you know, give me the little bit of the Heisman. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Chad, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just like things have changed for Brent and, uh, things have changed for, for me, I have less hair if that's possible. Um, <laughs> things have changed a little bit for you. Uh, the last time we talked, I'm pretty sure you were my manager or at least one of my like, you know, 17th line manager. I was, uh, I was, and always will be your brother in arms, man. That uh, but, hasn't changed. Yeah. But uh, things have changed a little bit for you. So you have, um, you have something a little bit new going on. Tell us about that. Yeah, you bet. So, uh, you know, I got a I got a phone call um, in December of, of last year, and, and David Golden was uh, was uh, he feels very passionately about what's going on in the converged infrastructure and converged platform space, and it was actually interesting. You know, he he asked me, hey, um, what do you think about what's what uh, what we could do to accelerate VCs? Already phenomenal growth into into kind of a new chapter, and I gave him a bunch of ideas, and he said, what do you think about this, that, and the other thing? And I gave my opinion. Then, you know, we got off the phone. He, he called me a few days later and said, what do you think about, you know, maybe making, uh, you know, change in the, in the leadership of, of VCE? And he, he, he did, uh, he, he said, what about this person? And what about this person? And I was like, hey, that would great, great, fantastic, awesome leaders. It would be great. And then he goes, would you want to do it? And I'm like, man, I would love to do it. And uh, I should know by now that when you start to get those like series of questions, someone's going somewhere. Um, it was actually funny, true story. That was on a Friday. He called me on a Saturday to go, you know what, I've thought about it more and, and I'm not going to put you in the role. 
and oh, and, I, and I and I said I said that that's cool too and and all good and then he called me back on Sunday and said I slept on it for a night and I think it it would be really good for the customers for the business to put you in as the leader of of VCE and so uh, on January the sixth um, yeah I took over responsibility for a great business uh, VCE's converged infrastructure business is north of three three billion dollar annualized run rate that's it's it's great. Um, a great team, passionate, you know, for the topic, and uh, it's been a fast and furious month, my friends. So, so we, Brian go, and I were ahead, remarking, yeah, we're yeah, we're going to we're remarking, you like you know, the interview process of like when when you're when you're at that level, is it just like that, a phone call, hey, we'd like you to do this, and it's like okay, or is it like Brian and I when we first started at EMC, like. 15 interviews later and we still have no idea if we're doing well or not no the you know look the um the reality of it is is that um everyone is actually always being interviewed like a, a weird thing to think about right i mean you know everyone is always evaluating what you're doing and what you're thinking about um i i uh we've got a broad set of really great leaders inside the company and and um you know, I think that basically once David uh, came to the conclusion that he wanted to make a change, he wanted to suss out my opinion about things. And so that his asking the questions was really a way of, um, you know, gauging his thoughts on my thoughts. And, and honestly, you know, the other, the other people that names that were being put out were fantastic and they would have, they, they would have been good in a different way, right? Um, I, I hope I can frankly live up to, uh, uh, you know, their great leadership. But the long and the short of it is, is that ultimately once the question is asked, the decision's already kind of been made and it's been socialized with a large number of people. And so with this, um, as part of this role though, you know, I've seen some things and I read like half my emails. Um, and so <laughs> I, I half read one about you and it seemed, we talked, we joked last time cause we called you pops, right? You're the president of pre-sales. Now you're the president of VCE, but I understand you're also the president of pre-sales. So my first question is, is that like a dual presidency? Is that anything like a dual VX, VCDX or is there like a, <laughs> how, do, how are they different? You look, know, compare the, and contrast. Look, the reality of it is that pre-sales is, is a really important role inside the company. Both you guys, you guys are, you know, awesome. Brian, I know you're kind of off doing something new, but you're always going to be an SC at heart, man. At your core, uh, you know, I can, you know, we feel it, right? The intersection of where technology and the customers meet, which is the, you know, the, the role of the SE, there's a lot of magic there, right? Now, what does that mean? It means that there's roughly 4,000 SEs who need uh, care, feeding. They need someone to fight for them and, and defend them every day, uh, make arguments about what we should do, structurally go left or right. And since this uh, happened relatively quickly, um, you know, I've, I've always been thinking about my own succession planning, as everyone should. We've got a broad set of really good leaders, but it was a little premature to kick in the official succession plan, right? Um, so the right way to do that sort of thing is to basically go through a transition period. And that's what we're doing now. There's no way that I can sustain being the leader of, of pre-sales at EMC and being the leader of, of VCE. And I would expect in the coming weeks and months, we'll go through and actually select someone who will be the person who will succeed in me in my previous role. So this is the first 30 days, roughly, of your role as president of, of VCE. Yep. And, um, you know, obviously, we, we just talked about you dual rolling. But 
Um, did you have or do you have kind of like set 30, 60, and 90-day priorities? Totally. So basically the first 30 days is, um, you know, the, the, the word is transition. Um, if there's a guiding word, right? Um, there's 2,400 people within VCE. They're fighting every day to do the right thing for the customers and whatnot. And there's a new guy in charge. And basically, uh, there's a very important period where um, you need to be very visible. Um, you know, I jokingly say it's like, you know, it's, it's kissing a lot of babies and shaking a lot of hands. But that's, it's a metaphor for the idea of saying people want to see who are you, what do you believe, do you understand what the hell's going on? Do you, do you see what's good and what's bad? And, and do I believe fundamentally that you're going to take us into a better place, right? And uh, literally over the last 30 days, I think I've, uh, uh, you know, we did eight town halls, uh, you know, you know, almost almost 10 webcasts. We did one actually today in Santa Clara. Um, and and there's no way to, to shrink that down. It's kind of like non-compressible time, like, maturing a file system or building a blog stack. <laughs> you know, you, no matter how much you try to shrink it, you, you, can't, you, you can't shrink it past a certain point, right? Um, the second thing during that transition period is establishing very quickly the, the, the new leadership team, right? Because everyone wants to be able to look and go, I understand the structure, I understand the people, and I was lucky enough to have a lot of great leaders within VCE and EMC, but guys, literally, we transitioned nine out of the twelve leaders. Um, you know, some of them went off to do different things. New people came up, but you had to settle that leadership team in like the first four or five days, right? Um, then it's the beginning of the year. We need to then issue gaffs and goals and all of those sorts of things, right? So uh, you know, snapping in and aligning the whole business against the business plan. All of that stuff is all inside uh, the first 30 days. So build financial plan, uh, stabilize leadership, reach out and shake a million hands, um, and then frankly listen to a lot of input. So I'm doing call downs to about 200 people inside the organization where I'm just randomly calling people at every level and asking them very basic questions. How are you feeling? How are the people around you feeling? What's working? What's not working, so what's good, bad, fugly, right? And if you're me, how can I best help you? And then so you, you know, you're building a mental map of the organization, the goals, all those sorts of things, and then you move out of the first 30 days. Now, by the way, inside this 30 days, there was also the leadership meeting, the virtual sales kickoff, um, and visiting you know, the top 10 or so customers personally um, to just say, you know, stable, all good, and actually, this week, I've also been out visiting our friends at Cisco. Um, by the way, in the middle there, we actually did sessions also with Gartner, IDC, and all of the analysts, right? And yet you still <laughs> yeah, look see a lot of Red Bulls and uh, five-hour energies in, in, in the trails of tears. Yeah, and now if, the, you, if you could see him, he looks extremely fresh. So I don't know how you did it like that. I mean. it, the, 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 you know, I, for me, the energy flows from the fact that I love what I'm doing. I love the people, and I feel like what I'm doing is important. I think it's important for the company. I think it's important for customers. I think it's important for the employees, and I think it's important for, for everybody. So if you were to give yourself a grade, and we're all our own worst critic, first 30 days in, 
your KPIs, everything that you kind of set out there. How, how do you think you're doing? The grade. Uh, I'd say I'd say seven out of ten. Um, you know, it's it's been good. The employee feedback is they're feeling good about where we're taking the business. Um, leadership and virtual sales kickoff was good. And by the way, here we are at the beginning of uh, February, and everybody has their goals and their gaffes. Um, you know, that's that's a, a good milestone, right? Um, there were a couple of things where you know, the reason I would say the gap is. There's some stuff where I would have dug into it a little bit earlier in the in the late December time frame that I didn't understand how much how many moving parts there were in the services part of the business. And I needed to furiously learn a new lexicon of running a PL. Right? So understanding the, the, the shape of the business model has been a really interesting brain stretch. And so you know, it's it, by the way, it's really good that you didn't um, shake any babies uh, rather than kissing them. But um, so you gave yourself a seven uh, coming out of the 30 days. As you get into 60, 90, and 180, can you briefly share with us some of those, like the major goals? Uh, and, you know, are you changing something to be able to accomplish those? Yeah. So, so uh, the word for the first 30 is, you know, uh, transition. The second, you know, the, the 60 day, 30 to 60 day window, the word is stabilize. And then in the 60 to 90 day, it's execute, which means that we fall into a quarterly cadence, right? In Stabilize, now everyone understands their goals, they understand their mission, and we set out a couple of things that we wanted to do that were really clear, right? Um, I'm a big believer that ultimately um, the role of the leader is to make people feel optimistic about the future, not because they're delusional, but they really make people feel like tomorrow could be better than today. Um, to set clear goals and strategic priorities and to communicate like a mofo, right? Um, and through that communi constant communication, um, um, how do I say this, project values and, and who they are. So speaking of communications, have they, as a group or a small group, or any, has anybody received their first Chad manifesto slash email and what was the response to that yeah the the, the, the response is like uh, so yes they have so so they're starting to understand okay chad writes really long blog posts and he, he writes really long-winded uh winding novellas in uh it is kind of like comms but i i found literally you got to hit people in all sorts of different ways right some people like long written form some people like town halls and interactions. Some people like video and WebEx. Some people, you know, like uh, little YouTube snippets. And, you know, I, I think you got to use all of that stuff. Some people like the Twitters. And, and so, uh, by the way, I'm personally offended that you didn't come to Richardson, um, being that we're close. So. I I actually did come to Richardson. I missed you, Brian. You didn't tell me. So that, well, okay, I get the point. <laughs> Lesson learned. So um, as we move on and we talk about what's happening with VC and all the things that you're doing, um, so obviously there was a transition in 2014 with the VCE uh, ownership stake and the business model. Uh, and there was communications around that for the group, for the, you know, basically everybody customers. Now we have kind of a new transition for VCE, uh, which you also coincide with. So what's going to change? What's the impact on the, what are you telling these customers? Just what about partners too? So, so uh, it's those things like what you're going to change, you have to be very crisp on. And there's actually a pretty darn short list of what we're going to do differently. The first one is, is that basically um, VCE is synonymous in the marketplace and our customers for VBlock. 
And VBlock is a form of converged infrastructure, um, but it's only one form, right? Uh, they're large, they're composite out of traditional IT components that are assembled and, and designed and shipped and warrantied as a system, but they're large monoliths, right? Um, and that business is growing like gangbusters. It's a $3 billion business. You know, our growth in Q4 alone uh, is larger than the majority of the conversion, hyperconverged startups. In fact, all of them. <laughs> um, so, so it's an enormous business, right? However, your strength is always your weakness. Um, and for VCE, they must expand to be all forms of converged infrastructure, including hyperconverged and hyperconverged rack scale systems, right? And so goal number one, become not only the leader in converged infrastructure, but converged and hyperconverged infrastructure systems of all kinds. Number one. Um, number two is basically that converged infrastructure and hyperconverged infrastructure are in essence, if you distill them right down, are manifestations of a customer saying, I'm going to choose to buy versus build at the infrastructure layer of the strata, right? And uh, what I've been seeing, I don't know whether you guys see it in your customer interactions, is that more and more customers are going, yeah, I get that, but I want to actually take the idea of build versus buy a little higher in the strata. I want to assess IaaS, PaaS, you know, data fabrics, and I want that to be my unit of consumption and my comparison will maybe be public cloud offers, right? And so, um, you know, I think that one thing that is less known is that VCE is also the home of the enterprise hybrid cloud stack. It's the emerging home of our new cloud native stack. It's the home of our data lake. And uh, the second part of the mission is to basically go and say, we're going to take the solutions that we build and right now we're one, V-Block, and we're going to make it horizontal, blocks, racks, and appliances. And we're also going to increase it vertically for IaaS, PaaS, and data lakes, right? And that's not going to happen overnight, but we're going to go fast. Um, and, then, and then, you know, the other thing that I think is, is interesting is, is that inside the fabric of VCE's nature, they, they really focus on the customer, but the customer experience is very central to them. But all of the processes and mechanics were built around blocks, which are traditional architectures, great architecture, but traditional stack that needs to be built, managed, revved a certain way. A great experience for a customer that is in a different market or has a different set of workloads and wants a hyper-converged appliance, if you tried to force that process onto them, they would go like, ick, right? So they evolving VCE to kind of embrace the idea of great customer experience is the goal, you don't always do it the exact same way. You follow what I'm saying? We do. The thing that has been interesting to me is like, in the meeting with Gartner, for example, there was a ton of discussions over converged and hyper-converged system architectures and whatnot. They're very different. Uh, but at one level, it's analogous to saying like, a cheeseburger, um, a nice deli sandwich, or a meatball sub, right? <laughs> They're all forms of sandwiches, right? They're very different, and therefore sometimes you want one versus the other. But um, at the macro level, they're all manifestations of the same idea. Yeah, you had me at cheeseburger, Chad. 
<laughs> yeah. I, we definitely want to get in more into the kind of product level. Um, you know, what what I'd like to understand is, you know, so we talked about kind of folding VC into EMC, um, and I, my understanding is that you're you're in addition to being president of VC, you're also managing the whole kind of CI portfolio and and strategy, right? Yep. And uh, how how is, I guess internally, what's the what's uh, what's changed, right? Um, how how are we kind of cross pollinating and enabling each other with this new model? I'm I'm a big believer, man, that like the best way to to enable is literally to do the same tools for you, for someone who's a VR, for someone who's a partner, and literally just open up tools enablement training for everybody, right? Um, it was funny, and, and you know, people are like, "Well, what's what's something else that's changed?" One thing that is fascinating to me, and and again, these are the things that you don't understand until you step into a new gig, which is why change, by the way, is a good thing. Like Brian, you, you've been doing a new gig, right? Yep. How long has that been now? Uh, four months. Doing this new job for the last four months has it changed your perspective on things? Yeah, uh, there's a lot. So, I mean, obviously, uh, I've learned a ton. Um, being closer to the sausage factory, you see how the sausage is made, you learn new things, some things you don't want to know, some things you know you're really glad you know. Um, so there's a, it's a, it is a completely different perspective, and uh, it's also really interesting to have to relearn a job. You know, I, I felt like I was pr doing pretty good in my old one, and this new one, it's like uh, training wheels again. It's, it's, so it's, it's, it's fun, and you learn something new. One thing I learned, and this, was, this blew my mind, was this is about you know, getting more leverage and, and, and enabling people and getting people all inside the boat and rowing, right? Uh, one thing that was fascinating for me is as I stepped into the job, I asked what the sales goals were for converged infrastructure, blocks, racks, and appliances in 2015. And what I found out was that the EMC field had no block, rack, or appliance goal. And I was like, What? So the business has grown to $3 billion plus, and they're the only people who have been focused on that goal were the roughly 220-odd VCE you know, sellers and 200-odd VRCs you know, inside the field. And I'm like, look, this should be really easy. Basically, everyone in, inside EMC should have a shared goal that basically says, what are we trying to do? What do we think, what do we, think we can do? What's winning inside the marketplace? And so we set up a, a very basic thing that seems just patently obvious, which is that everyone in VCE, not just, not just people wearing the VCE badge, but everybody um, has a shared goal. And the fascinating thing about it is if you can create little things at the top, they echo through the fabric of the organization. So, you know, Brent, you're, again, you're in the field, man. So did you go to the virtual sales kickoff? I did. So first of all, how'd it go? What's the good, the bad, and the ugly, fugly on that? Well, I think it went great. You know, overall, we, we had uh, some some good representation uh, from the from the sales management. Uh, John Hanlon was there, David Boyle. Um, so we went through all the videos, had great Q and A. Um, you know, I think that there are there are definitely just questions, right, that no one can truly answer, um, especially with all this kind of speculation that's going on surrounding the Dell EMC merger, um, but. From you know, that's things that we can't control, and now, frankly, we just shouldn't focus on those, and we should focus on the portfolio and and what we have in front of us. So, so just, we we understood 
kind of the things that uh, we should we should continue to focus on and those that we may have over-rotated on. So now, how much did the idea that customers want to build versus buy and converge platforms come in through that, that session that you saw? I think it was very apparent that uh, that is the direction that not only are we leaning in, but the industry as a whole and our consumers as a whole. And the thing is, is that's interesting is that comes out of like aligning resources, right? Like getting everyone aligned, everyone kind of uh, working together towards a common goal. So those are the things that, you know, create a huge echo um, and drive inside the whole fabric of the organ. You can feel it and, you know, the thousands and thousands of other people that you see out there can feel it too, right? Um, now, but just to be, just to be clear, right? I was meeting with one of our largest customers in Switzerland, and uh, you know they 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 gave us our report card and said where we were good and we were bad, meaning VCE and, and VBlock. But their comment to us was, um, ultimately, you are the only ones that have got the ability to cover our edge, our new emerging workloads, our traditional workloads, and a CI portfolio to go off and do it. But then they actually held, you know, took me to task, frankly. Um, and said, why haven't your field teams been doing it? And it's been different reasons, but the reality of it is is that we're, we're going through the innovator's dilemma problem. Like we've got a giant business that is a V-block business, and people are like, well, this VX rack thing, it's this weird new thing, and I don't know how to engage, I don't understand how to design it yet. Um, and this is all last year. Um, and then as soon as someone encounters a little bump, they go back to what they know. And this is not a new thing, and it's not a unique thing to us. It's like pretty universal. So by leaning in really hard into what are we doing around VX rack, um, we can push the whole company a lot further forward. And interestingly enough, last week I met with a customer in Marlboro, and at the end of the meeting, they basically said we're moving forward. It's almost a $20 million VX rack with 500 nodes in it. Wow. <laughs> you, you know, it's amazing. That's awesome. So is that, is that, uh, what, so what is that, what flavor of this uh, VX rack is that? Is that Flex? That one's a VX rack Flex. It was really interesting. Again, this, this customer did a, a full-blown, very smart customer, frankly. They did a full-blown, like, tear-down analysis of, should we go the very vSphere homogeneous way? And, and they're a very, very pro VMware customer. Or should we go the heterogeneous data center strata inclusive of vSphere way? And one, one flavor, as you said, is VxRack Flex, which is the, the, the latter, the heterogeneous way. And uh, uh, VxRack SDDC is the vSphere-centric way. And they, they're, going the, they're going the VxRack Flex way. It was also interesting, they did a huge amount of system-level testing on Scale.io which is the SDS layer in, in VxRack Flex. And uh, face-meltingly awesome is, uh, is what they found. Yeah, as always. <laughs> and speaking of that, you know, I've seen some tweets recently where you're uh, going back and forth with, uh, I think it's Storage Review, um, about them testing some uh, VxRack nodes and such. And I was really interested to see. Um, I see you're asking for results. When are we going to get them and what's going on there? So, so, by the way, I don't want anyone to misunderstand all this business talk that I've been talking about. I'm still the same old Chad, you know, virtual geek, nerdy Chad, right? I'm just learning new things, which means it's front and center of my mind, right? Um, myself and others have been pushing for 
EMC to lean into the just make our software available, right? And uh, we've made a lot of headway in 15. I mean, the Scale.io bits, boom, www.emc.com, whack, get Scale.io. And it, it, did you guys see the Isilon 8.0, uh, Isilon SD Edge bits went up today? Yeah, uh, we, we actually had a note about free and frictionless because there's a scale. I was just going to ask you, I mean, Scale.io, ECS, Isilon SD Edge, uh, Cloud Array, RP for VMs. I mean, the list is almost endless at this point. So it's the, the way to summarize the whole list is if there's a thing that we do, it's available as software for download, period, right? Now, the one place that I fought a battle and lost, right, was I fought a battle with the Scale.io team that the clickable EULA wrapper, it's got some language in there that basically says uh, you're not allowed to perf do performance testing and publish the results and blah, 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 right? That, you know, is put in there, you know, the lawyers are looking out for the safety of the company, right? Um, my comment to them was to basically try to change it to go and say, do any testing you want. The only thing that we ask is any testing that you publish, publish what you found, how you tested it, and anything that we give you as feedback also make public. Because, you know, performance testing is hard and people sometimes can make a mistake and, and they can find a weird knee that doesn't exist or, or, or whatever, right? My comment was let them test. In any case, the, who, was, who was it that was doing the posting? I think it was storage... It's like uh, uh, something Lab Geek or something, it, but it was storage. No, it's storage. It's storage labs. I, I want to make sure that we actually um, give them the proper shout out on this. Hang on a second. So uh, while, you're, while you're thinking out loud there, so um, you know, as far as that scale I/O testing is concerned, uh, it it harkens back to days of another test that I saw and another software defined experience where somebody let somebody test it and then pulled all the gear back. Um, and you know, I can't agree with you more and basically said, you can't publish your results. I couldn't agree with you more that kind of, you know, you've always taught me very well to open the kimono and let people do things and then make everything, everything out in the open. Um, and when I see things like that and I see what you're trying to do, uh, I appreciate that you practice what you preach. So, so by the way, thank you, man. But the guy is Kevin O'Brien on Twitter. He's at test lab nut and he works for storage review, right? And storage review basically was the site that you were citing. And so we saw that whole sordid episode. And again, uh, you know, I'm not going to mention who it is because, frankly, it was a bad day for them, but everybody has a bad day, right? Um, the thing that was the mistake actually wasn't that the performance test turned out to be a bad result. It's that they went all, uh, you know, turtle, and they basically said, like, shut her down, pull all the gear out, can't do anything, and, and we were like, hey, this is an example where we can practice what we preach. So let's send them the software. Let's give them some guidance on how to do it. And then hands off and, and go, whatever you find, good, bad, or ugly, or fugly, post. Right? Now, the EULA still hasn't changed, but I'm going to damn the torpedoes. I'll make it change. <laughs> right? Um, stuff that's good should stand on its own merits. Right? And so I'm looking forward to seeing what they publish. The thing that's interesting is that the 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 the, uh, uh, the storage review guys actually are testing what in scale I/O land and large scale vSAN land is actually a pretty small config, right? Like 32 nodes. This customer that I'm describing is deploying 500 nodes, <laughs> right? So, um, and the crazy thing is, is that 500 is just their start. They're going to add another 1,500 nodes right behind it. And, Holy cow. Yeah, so, so 
by the way, that's I'm, I'm realize I'm all meandery here, right? But one thing that was fascinating about the meeting with Gartner is Gartner separates converged infrastructure into two domains, um, and and they're very smart about it. And they get lots of lots of good input, right? They go, there's a converged infrastructure domain, and then there's a hyper-converged infrastructure domain. And they lump everybody that's hyper-converged into the same grouping. And they go, the definition of hyper-converged uh, for them is that it uses industry standard servers, it uses a distributed software-defined storage layer, it has some sort of management goop that ties all the giblets together into an integrated system. And I was arguing with them, you, you don't lump the appliance type architecture into the same category as a rack scale system architecture. And they were like, I don't really get the distinction you're trying to draw. And I, and I so I, we basically stopped the meeting. I walked over to the lab and we had a big VX rack system standing there. And then we had this new top secret thing that we're going to launch on February the 16th, which is an appliance um, sitting right there. And I go, you see these two things? What do they have the same? They both use a industry standard server. They both use an SDS stack. They're both scale out. They both have got management that ties them together. And they're like, yeah, they're kind of the same. And I go, now just look at it visually. This one that is four racks in scale, how important is the networking domain? And they go, yeah, really important. And by the way, I'm not saying it has to be vendor X versus vendor Y right you know but is the networking design important when you're deploying something that basically has got 500 nodes in it and the answer is boop yeah right <laughs> i'm glad to see you're censoring yourself between fugly and some of the things i've seen in your blog post recently um i was a little worried about our rating today but <laughs> so so so, so the, the point is is that basically at rack scale systems that are biasing towards disaggregated systems and also new composable systems, the, base, the, the, the fabric that binds them together is not an afterthought, which also means the network and the fabric has to be part of the management and orchestration domain. This compares very differently than in the appliance category where the litmus test is there when someone says, what network should I use? It's like, ah, oh, whatever the hell you got. And you're going to be fine, right? And that's that's not just a matter of scale. That's a matter of system architecture. So for us, this like blocks, racks, and appliance thing, customers are kind of going, yeah, you're right. And then the question is, you know, which one is the best in individual categories? Well, I think... Um I, I think our strategy and, and, well, frankly, your strategy at this point um, is, is resonating in the marketplace. And, you know, I just read uh, Michael Dell did an open letter to, to everyone basically saying, hey, VCE is doing the right thing. Their future is very bright. Um, it, was, it was very short and sweet, but I think the message was there. Like, keep on doing it. We're here to support you, and we look forward to continuing to partner as VC continues to grow. And, and by the way, that was great that he wrote that. I asked, I asked him to. And the reason that I asked him to was an important thing that I think, you know, again, it's frustrating sometimes when you see stuff in the, in the press and in analyst land because very often they're looking for the sound bite, which is the frustrating thing about this, this world and it applies to politics as well as technology. 
people sometimes don't want to do a double click. And the Gartner team, again, lots of respect for those guys, they basically wrote a paper that basically said with the Dell EMC deal going down, that customers should feel concerned about what's the dynamic with Cisco, right? And um, with all due respect, they're way off. Um, and that was a big part of the discussion with them, um, you know, last week. The, the reality of it is, is that the customers basically, when they buy a system, all of the ingredients are somewhat secondary, except for insofar as they define the system envelope, right? So whether it's the SDS component, the hardware components, the, the networking components, the management orchestration, they're, they're each important unto themselves, but they're really important in terms of how they define the system envelope. Inside our platforms, Cisco is our networking partner full stop, right? Inside vBlocks, which are large monolithic architectures where you deploy in block level scaling, <laughs> um, bladed architectures like UCS are thumbs up, right? But by the way, those bladed chassis, you can't make them really small. You know what I mean? Like, by definition, the smallest UCS chassis is for you, right? And then you need to have effects modules going up to the, you know, to the Nexus 6000 uh, 6, series that is basically connecting all of those things together. You've got to have two of those. So immediately you're talking about something which is in essence 8U, but then you have to attach it to a storage array. Let's call that, you know, 5U or 10U. And now you basically have got half a rack, right? That's the minimal set, right? Now, however, at scales, it's very, very efficient, right? So no need to change Cisco in the networking architecture. No, no need to change from UCS inside blocks. However, all hyperconverged systems are never built out of bladed architectures. They, they bias towards either rack mount, what are called modular systems, so like the FX2s. You guys did a cool show on that stuff, as well as Dell's got the C6000 series, um, 6320s. And then, um, and also these new composable system type architectures, right? The reason that those are generally there is because they have a smaller building block form factor. Duh, right? And what that means, you can actually build them in smaller step functions. So, in our offers in that space, VX Rack, and this super cool thing that we're going to do on February the sixteenth, we do not use Dell servers. We do not use Dell. Or we do not use Dell servers today, and we also don't use Cisco servers, but we do use Cisco networking. And then they're like, "Okay, as the Dell and EMC deal consummates, won't you use Dell supply chain?" And the answer is, "Yeah, of course we will. It's awesome. It'll dramatically accelerate our ability to go and in hyperconverged systems have a better supply chain, a lower cost of goods sold, be able to innovate faster. Yay!" right? Does Dell have anything that competes with the UCS system? No. Not, not directly, no. right? They, 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 they're not particularly strong in the bladed system market segment. Would we ever remove Cisco, you know, from our design when all of our customers are like, yay, thumbs up, and the business is growing like crazy? Answer, no. 
But again, this, this requires someone to be a little more patient, a little more thoughtful than the, hey, Dell has a server business. Hey, Cisco has a server business. <laughs> By definition, that is mutually incompatible. You know, you know what I mean? So yeah, well, yeah. I, I think that I think that the um, the the general consensus from just talking day to day with customers, but also the EG ESG sentiment analysis, is that generally speaking, um, this is going to be a good thing for for us, for our customers, for the industry as a whole. Um, but you know, David, uh, yourself, you know, Cisco, everybody is like. Guys, stop over-rotating, stop speculating. We're going to continue what we're doing, and this is a good thing. And, and, uh, and all, the, all the players involved know how important the customers are, and we're not going to leave the customers hanging no matter what. And I've had like 100 conversations with Rick Shearer about just, just ACI and NSX alone, right, which are considered to be competitors in, in just what exists today inside of that business unit. Um, and, you know, we talk about the concept that in certain cases, in a lot of cases, if you consider both to be part of your strategy, you end up getting kind of a better together experience. You know, the, the thing that was interesting for me is I started to notice um, about six months ago the, the Cold War, you know, the Berlin Wall started to come down, right? I started to see Cisco and VMware start to collaborate more. I started to see some great reference architectures about NSX on top of Nexus, I started to see some that basically said ACI, where you use ACI for basically the, the network flows, but the, you're using NSX for micro-segmentation and, and firewalling at the edges, right? And the thing that I think is, is, is good is ultimately that's what customers want. They want the vendor ecosystem to come together, give them choices, have a strong opinion, and then basically take them forward. You know what I mean? But everyone wants to always... Polarize, and and so I have a I do have a question. It's more of a curiosity as the as the um, as the portfolios eventually kind of get, come together. There there probably is a thought process around Force Ten, maybe you know whatever it may be. Um, but I'm I'm much more curious about uh, NFV, which I think is another almost and and you know call it something an affront to both um, ACI and NSX. And so I'm wondering what what Dell's practice around NFV is. Are there are there thoughts inside of VCE as we you know look at them as a partner today um, to to look at that as something we might use or is that kind of too far out of the domain and it's a much further down the road kind of thing? So you know I'm going to do something here and now that like never happens on on public uh, you know public public podcasting land. Currently, within VCE, our portfolio of blocks, racks, and appliances are poorly suited for NFV. I, I tend to agree. So, so uh, what's interesting is that the office of the CTO, both within Dell, so Paul Perez's group, and EMC John Rose's group, is basically the tip of the spear on the NFV campaigns and solution designs where we're winning, right? Like the big and very public uh, example of the Verizon case um, where they're building their own system. Now, again, in that case, it's really alien relative to most enterprise IT, um, where they're using containerization, they're using scale, some amount of scale I.O. for some persistence, they're building an integrated system design that has tons of object you know, storage, and it, 
at the most superficial level, it kind of looks like a VX rack, you know, in the sense that there's an industry standard server, some networking component, whatever. But the point is, is that the management orchestration stack, the way the system is designed, the persistence layer, the use of SDN a little bit is so different that our current course of action is to anyone listening that's going, hmm, I should think of a VX rack for, for NFV. Don't. Right? Uh, VX rack is generally designed for, you know, uh, general purpose IaaS and PaaS stacks for cloud native apps that are not NFV. If you need NFV and you're a service provider, the place to engage is actually not with your rep, it's with the office of the CTO of both companies. Now, just to be clear, I think that basically those office of the CTO learnings, and this isn't a hypothesis, were basically like partnered with the office of the CTOs to go, you guys engage, you learn, you build system architectures for customers, but they're very unique. Once we learn and we go past the 10th or 20th, then we go and within VC, we industrialize it for the masses. Okay, so SDN for now. SDN is, is you know, not not uh, synonymous with 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 uh, with NFV. I agree. Now, now by the way, that, again, the terms get thrown around so generally, it's very difficult to put like pin the tail on the donkey, right? So, if you consider uh, network function virtualization as, hey, I virtualized my load balancer and it's running as software, well then, yeah, it's a little more close to that, right? Um, but I, I, I think that the overlap Venn diagram has got a small amount of overlap. And that's kind of one of the things I was researching as I first took into my job was, you know, just in our SDDC strategy where NFV and SDN overlap versus are separate. And they're kind of, again, eventually it's going to be a better together conversation, uh, when we get to that point, I think. So, um, as we get towards the end, there's a, Oh, you, we don't have to end. No, we don't have to end, but we're towards it. So we're going to, we're going to head towards some things we definitely have to talk about. You've brought up, uh, two very key things. Um, one, and I don't know which order to ask him in. I can't really tell. One is building versus buying <laughs> and the customer's journey there. And the other one is the fact that, and I mean, you, you said it in not so many words, but I, I'm also going to paraphrase from your blog post, um, that hyperconverge and converge in general are means to an end, but they're not actually, in fact, the end game. And it's something else is, in fact, the end game. And you kind of alluded to it a bit. So I don't know which one starts first, chicken or egg, but go ahead. So, so certain ideas are always true. Like, you know, uh, love thy neighbor, <laughs> right? You know, be good to one another, right? Um, basically, uh, you know, those, those, those are truisms. One IT truism for me is no one has ever bought a lick of infrastructure in any type because they woke up that day and said, I want to buy some infrastructure, whether that's a storage array, a network, a converged infrastructure platform, a hyper-converged appliance, there's always the driver is the application that someone wants to deploy. It, you know, in the oldie timey days, it was like, I need to deploy Exchange 5.5. Exchange 5.5 needs some infrastructure. What am I going to go off and do and build, right? So in other words, the application has always driven the infrastructure, not the other way around. Sometimes that's something that the infrastructure teams lose sight of. And the vendor ecosystem that sells infrastructure loses sight of. Um, 
The interesting thing is that actually if you look at the amount of dollars spent, the amount of dollars spent on infrastructure is actually in many cases larger than the application ecosystem, which is strange because the application is actually more strategically uh, valuable and differentiated than the infrastructure itself is. The point of that long meandering thing, Brian, <laughs> um, is a very simple idea that as customers start to get smarter, and smarter is the wrong word, more mature in their thinking about where they assess, where they build versus buy, what they do, even if they don't think about it this discreetly, is they're going, where do I do stuff that differentiates me, right, in my business? And yeah, there's examples where, you know, choosing vendor A versus vendor B in the networking domain or the storage domain or whatever can create some small degree of optimization. But most customers, bit by bit, are realizing that that is not a smart investment of time or money. And so they go, I'm in the market for something that abstracts that. And that's one level of abstraction. And it's basically turning the infrastructure domain into a new commodity where they assess one commodity versus another. One hyper-converged appliance versus another hyper-converged appliance. Do you follow? However, the reality of it is, is that the infrastructure itself is not what they're buying. They're buying it because they want to deploy end-user computing. They're buying it because they want to deploy a cloud IaaS stack, you know, to basically leverage on-premises and, and broker to a, to a public cloud. They're buying it because they want to develop a new cloud-native app, and they want that application to be uh, something that they control the information for, as an example, right? And ultimately, choosing a turnkey IaaS, PaaS, or data fabric. And a data fabric could be something like an Exadata. So this is not just a VCE idea. These are all different formulations of the idea of build versus buy at different layers in the strata. When customers go down that path, what in essence they're signaling is I've thought about it, and basically this layer of the stack, I no longer differentiate myself. I want somebody else to do it for me. And with each passing day, more customers are concluding that that's what they want to do at the infrastructure layer, and the more advanced customers are going, you know what, screw this, I'm just going to do it at the IaaS layer. And they, they go and say, uh, uh, I want to buy a turnkey um, OpenStack uh, offering from IBM and Bluebox. Right? I, I think that's a terrible choice. Jesse Proudman, I love you. Um, uh, and, and Tyler, just a little bit. A and bit. Tyler, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Tyler, I do love you. Um, and I'm obviously joking. But the point is that all of those represent that idea, right? Um, that idea of saying, I want to consume at this layer of the strata, and I now view it as a commodity. Yeah, I really liked your uh, 2016 predictions. And you had a little graphic in there that was kind of the... Uh, it had the build versus buy continuum and then the consume versus operate, yeah. which I thought was really clever. I don't know who came up with that, but I liked it a lot. Um, and, and, and if you, you, you know, you discussed blocks, racks and appliances um, and kind of where they fit a little bit. And uh, you did a really nice video during virtual sales kickoff, which which helps um, us understand a bit more about that, which I heard leaked out onto the Internet. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, there was a. There was a code name embedded into that video. There's actually a product name, so shh. Yep. 
Don't yeah. look at the YouTube video. <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, my, my question to you is, um, in the conversation of build versus buy, are you seeing a trend or a pattern for the maturity, the size, the application type um, that are leaning in the buy direction? Um, as a general statement, no. <laughs> um, it's more associated with the mental state of the customer than it is associated with any given type of workload. That said, the one type of workload that does bias this way are cloud-native application stacks, right? So the moment that basically your application is following, and, you know, it's so funny because I was talking to a customer yesterday, and we are like, cloud-native, 12-factor app, you pick, your, you pick your poison. He's like, God, I hate that. It's just buzzword bingo. And I asked him why he hated it, and he said, well, because no, people use those terms without knowing what they mean. And I'm like, well, here are the... 12 parts of a 12-factor app, right? You've got code that is never, con no config inside code. You always use a, a RESTful API to communicate state. You know, you never basically build a, a formal port binding into your code stack. And he goes, okay, I get it, I get it. You're not an idiot just throwing out the buzzword to sound cool like you, you kind of kind of understand the domain. I'm like, okay, good. His beef wasn't with the word. It was just that it's, it's reached the stupidity of buzzword bingo, right? The point is that while the industry hasn't landed on a word, everyone knows what we mean. We mean applications that have no dependence on any degree of infrastructure resiliency. They're designed to be able to scale out extremely horizontally. They're built out of small, modularized chunks of code, and they almost never are built on a relational database, a classic relational database, right? The point is, is that those workloads are always so abstracted from infrastructure that they require a mindset that says, I, I'm going to use the infrastructure API and that's it. And I am going to understand what that infrastructure is capable of doing, but that's it. It's like an SLA. And that means that the, as people use those, whether they run it inside an at-scale public cloud or whether they run it on Cloud Foundry on-premises on a VX rack, those do bias towards, uh, you know, I'm just going to consume the infrastructure and that's it. And interestingly, they also bias towards a utility economic model. So the idea of essentially being charged by use. Right, because the application is by definition fairly elastic. And, and you know, if I think about the one superpower that NUCO, the combined Dell and EMC entity would have, is not only would we have the most super awesome, um, you know, portfolio of technologies and we'd be a IT leader that is material and we've got great cultures and blah, 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 blah. But the thing that I think will be the unique thing is, is that as the industry goes through this transition, being able to be private and more easily utilitize our offers will prove to be a superpower. Yeah, you. Uh, I put it up and distracted you, but uh, when I went to Dell World, thank you for sending me uh, and Brent. Uh, I picked up this amazing Dell Financial Services mouse pad because I found what was on there to be extremely profound for our future. Uh, and it mentions provision and pay, 
pay-as-you-go, scale-on-demand, and cloud flex pay. And uh, at the bottom, it says learn more. And that's all I want to do is learn more about it because I'm really interested in those financial models and the ability to help people consume things that, you know, this whole conversation today where you talk about stair-stepping in nodes versus uh, maybe buying a rack. There are plenty of people who may need a rack and may have a financial constraint being able to help them get what they really need to solve their problem yeah. with a, with a financial vehicle is uh, one of the more exciting parts to me, even though I'm technical allegedly. So you know it used I, to be, you know what? I, one of the things that I love about my job, like just absolutely love is getting to travel around the world and meet people who speak different languages, different cultures that operate in totally different industries and go, you know what? Human beings are all pretty common. We have a lot more in common, and our differences that are real um, are actually like super awesome. As opposed to being like the primary thing that separates us, they're kind of a thing that unites us. What's one thing that is common? All humans are bad at math. <laughs> humans, humans are bad at math. We're really, we struggle mightily to compare two things that have got a different unit of measurement, right? And so when someone looks at it and goes like, okay, a block architecture that is designed for rack scale is going to cost $3 million as an example, but I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to use a public cloud, I'm going to pay, you know, 20 cents per compute hour. Someone, the, the, the human mind goes, 20 cents, $3 million, oh my God, that's, that's crazy, right? But you know, the difference is that one is structured as capital with a big step-in function, and one of them is structured as OPEX with a pay-as-you-go function. And the reality of it is, is that <laughs> it may actually be that a given, for given workloads and scale points, the CapEx model is actually better, but the customer struggles mightily to distinguish economic construct versus system architecture, right? And I can't wait, I can't freaking wait to be able to go and say, you want to evaluate a VX rack? I don't care whether you consume it as capital or OPEX. And we can make it work in any one of those financial models, which one is the best one for a given customer. And to be able to do that, which is not easy when you're a publicly traded company, um, is going to be a superpower. So as we, as we round it out, I have, I've never done this before and Brent's not expecting it. I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a choose your own adventure question here. So I have two questions for you now. Awesome. So the first one is, um, I'm closing my eyes and visualizing <laughs> what is 2016's story for VCE and open source or what, what does the horizon look like in general for VCE? What are these exciting new things outside of the 16th? The second one's too easy. The horizon is so, so awesome. The, the, it's so bright, you got to wear shades. So I'm not going to go down that path because it's boring because I already know how the story ends. It's going to end awesomely, right? I'm going to choose the former. The story of 2016 is it will be the year where VCE becomes synonymous not only with being the CI leader, but being the converged platform leader, period, bar none. Hyper-converged architectures will be a huge part of that. VX rack and VX, oh, sorry, can't say it, tune in to February you know, 16th, right? 
Um, it will be a very big year for what we do together with VMware and with Pivotal in this, you know, kind of the Q2, Q3 window as we work to industrialize and harden Cloud Foundry on top of the Photon platform, on top of various cool projects that we have going on within um, EMC. I think that if we can do for these new cloud native workloads what we've done with the enterprise hybrid cloud for traditional workloads, it is sheer kickassery, right? Um, and and uh, I think that's going to be really really cool, Brian. I'm excited. Well, I let's do this thing. Yeah, I, we're all Chad, excited. Chad looks hungry now. <laughs> it, Just give say, him another Red Bull, and he'll be good. Yeah, he did mention three sandwiches like a half hour ago. So let's feed. <laughs> let's let the guy eat. Um, Guys, thank you for having me. It's it's great to see uh, you know two friends. I, what you're doing with the show is great. And by the way, you know I had a secret agenda when I sent you to to, to Dell World, and you guys achieved your mission admirably. Yes. I was you know find cool stuff and share with world right. Um, and it was it was neat to see what you guys found that you thought was cool. It's a bit yeah, of a slow trickle. It. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a slow trickle. We have some other secrets still coming. It just uh, takes a lot of work. Michael's a busy guy. You know. uh, he's an interesting cat. <laughs> um, at the leadership meeting, he was there the, the whole time. And, um, you know, he's a man who's very thoughtful and insightful. It's interesting. He doesn't, you know, he's, uh, it's not all about bravado and, and uh, you know, speaking loudly. Um, he's very thoughtful. I'm looking well, forward cool. to working with him yeah. more. You know, we're 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 all looking forward to it. I think you know this is obviously from from an EMC perspective, but uh, it's it appears that the that our customers in the market feel feel generally the same way. So there's still a lot to be determined, uh, but I think I think the future looks bright, as as uh, Michael says. So um, let's go ahead and shut this down. So uh, in this conversation, for those of you listening out there, we talked about disaggregated hardware and composable systems. So we have definitely had that discussion on the hot aisle. Uh, listen to episode number 18 with Brad Maltz and, and dive into to that. Um, and then also get social with us, right? You guys have done a great job of letting us know how we're doing, um, what you like, what you don't like, and also topics for the future. So let's continue to keep this dialogue open. The community is great, and we love hearing feedback. Um, Brian, did you want to ask a, a quick closeout question? Yeah, I mean, we had it in the notes. It's necessary. So after <laughs> You guys actually have notes? Oh, we have pages of notes. Our notes are longer <laughs> than your emails. Um, so, that, that, so anyways, um, when the Dell deal closes... Um, are you, you know, Chad, are you going with something simple like the Tesla Model S P90D with insanity mode or whatever it's called? Uh, or, or I think it's called ludicrous mode. Or are you doing something a bit more functional, like maybe a Maybach or a Ferrari? <laughs> I think, I think, I think you don't understand. Uh, I think you don't understand uh, my own personal priorities, Brian. The, uh, the funny thing is, is that I, while I love my job, one of the things that is, is difficult is that it involves not being at home a lot, right? Uh, our, our family at home, um, and I love my wife. She's so awesome, and my two daughters are the light of my life. It, it, we only have one vehicle, and my wife's peak vehicle is the Honda Odyssey. Like So getting another vehicle uh, would not 
work for making my family happy. So the question is, you know, what does make us happy? The answer would be traveling. And we always try to make, you know, time to travel and do some cool stuff. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that no matter what happens with the Dell and EMC deal. It, yeah, I mean, you are. We, we've seen enough uh, pictures on Twitter, including, I believe, like Jazzercise outfits recently, but um, which was fantastic. I loved it. Um, you should have seen the pictures of the whole class she was in. It was it was the funniest thing ever, man. It was awesome. So, and we we know that you're uh, very humble, but it was a it was at least a good thought, you know. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Brian so really what, wanted to ask. He I did. What. What I what I what I want because I am now going through you know the midlife crisis phase of of uh, very you know I'm I'm happy with me it's all it's all good uh, but you know I want to know that I still got it the thing that is in the back of my mind is like a Ducati or something stupid Oof. you know what I mean yeah. just yeah. stupid yeah. but yeah uh, that's probably a bad choice <laughs> we we really really They're need cool. you as a leader so do us a favor ride the Ducati in the driveway. In the summer only because I know you're in Canada. Um, so one one last thing before we wrap up because I'm sure you've done it and we really really need it. Is there another book? I mean, we've t- done a million of them. Innovators Dilemma, all those. Something a little bit newer, something a little bit you know even more learnful. Is there another book we need? Um, not a business book. Um, uh, what's it? What's this book called? Is this a, is, this is off your? Um, it was either twenty, like the end of twenty fifteen or your twenty sixteen prognostications. Your is it a book from there? Uh, hang on one second. Uh, uh, offer. We're hang trying on. to we're trying to help Chad with dead air here. So as he types, yeah, hang on. They'll be playing. We'll play some music over this. It'll be awesome. Chinese offer. It'll be the Jeopardy music. Dun, 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 dun. Hang on. Um, so I would highly recommend anyone um, who, who wants a different reading experience, and this is, this is not a business book, but I thought this was so fascinating, was The Three-Body Problem, and I'm going to mangle this, this, uh, this name, but uh, the author is uh, Liu uh, Chixin. I'm sure I'm screwing it up, but basically the book is called The Three-Body Problem. It's a sci-fi novel. It was really interesting because it was written by a Chinese author, and it was the first time that a that a book who um, you know was originally written in um, in Chinese was translated, and it won the Hugo Award, which is like the you know most famous you know and, and renowned kind of sci-fi uh, sci-fi award. The thing that was so cool about this is that it highlighted a totally different way of thinking, and you could see. Uh, you could see how basically cultures are different, right? Just a really, really cool story, book, uh, imagination. I just, I totally dug it. Awesome. Right on. Well, hey, let's shut it down. Uh, That one went a little bit long because of the Tesla question, but uh, we had to know. We had to know. Uh, By the way, way, just to be very clear, I do have a reservation on a Model X. Oh, nice. nice. <laughs> now, whether or not I actually ever consummate that is another question. <laughs> well, you do have the baller of minivans. So, I mean, it's an yeah. amazing car. <laughs> Automatic everything. Exactly. So, Get Chad, when and where can we find you next? Uh, are, you, are you doing any public appearances soon? Yeah. So, uh, right now I'm out in the Bay Area. I'm heading to New York tomorrow. Um, and then, um, frankly, you're going to see a lot of me on 
February the 10th and then February the 16th. And clearly we've got some exciting stuff coming. Um, I'm going to be doing a couple of uh, um, uh, VUGs, which are the you know, VC users groups. I've, I'm going to be going, and I think I'm doing like the upcoming VMUG in Indianapolis, I think. Um, I think. And, uh, yeah, I'm all over the place. Best, you know, best thing to do always is follow each other on Twitter, right? Um, yeah. I try to just, every, every week I kind of go like, here's my week's calendar, and I'm not trying to be like, showy or it's kind of like a weird selfish, selfish thing to post. But the reason I post those is that periodically I get someone going like, hey, I'm in town. Let's go out for dinner. You know what I mean? I do. I really do. Especially Richardson. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I, got, I got you, Brian. Next time I'm coming into town, we're, we're going out. You, got, you know, I, apparently now that you know, I, I lead VC, I need to understand Texas barbecue better. So maybe you can give me an education. We, you know who else lives here? My homie V Texan, we got you. We got you covered. Uh, he he. I saw. He, I ran into him at uh, the courtyard Milford, and it was he's such a nice dude. He's such an awesome guy. Yeah, he took a picture of you. I don't know if you saw that. You probably did. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> it, was, it was sneaky. You were working as usual. You're probably writing a manifesto. So, yeah. any case, we digress. Uh, you're awesome, Brent. Let's shut this thing down, dude. Guys, all right. <laughs> well, uh, again, Chad, thank you very much for being uh, a second time offender on the Hot Isle. Uh, we, we always enjoy having you, and, and uh, we look forward to having you back on. Brent, Brian, the honor is mine. You guys do great work. Thank you. We'll so with you. that, we'll shut it down. Uh, my name is Brent Piatti. And I'm Brian Carpenter. I'm the microphone hog today. <laughs> no, you're not. I think we both are just very energized. Chad, he infected us with uh, <laughs> with just you know his Red Bull and 5-Hour Energy. So we, we, we have the same the same thing. But again, thank you. Thanks, guys. We out.